Jake here. Thank you for taking a trip to the past with me. The original podcast version of The Americans will be released weekly, but if you don't want to wait, then go to jakebible.substack.com and become a paid subscriber. You'll receive access to all of The Americans as well as early release novels, audiobooks, and other exclusive extras. That's jakebible.substack.com. Now enjoy the original podcast production of The Americans. Cheers. Warning. This podcast reading is for mature audiences only. You will not be warned again. Welcome to the podcast reading of Jake Bible's The Americans, book two in the Dead Mech Apex Trilogy. The Americans is a side quill to Dead Mech, meaning it takes place simultaneously with book one. You can listen to this novel first or start with Dead Mech. Go to jakebible.com for more information on this podcast, Dead Mech, and other fiction by Jake Bible. Enjoy. All right, welcome back to the Americans, y'all. Glad you can make it. Going to be a quick, easy introduction. Um, no promos this week, just because I did not have time to throw promos together. That's how it happens sometimes. Um, also, I thought I'd explain with the Americans, just the way the chapters are written. Some episodes are going to be short. Some episodes are going to be long. Some are going to be middle. It's really going to be kind of all over the place. It's not like Dead Mech, where I really had it pretty structured. Um, chapter to chapter or episode to episode americans is structured just a little bit differently and since this is a podcast reading and not a polished audiobook that's just how it's going to happen Alrighty. so this is a long episode you're getting a good almost 30 minutes i'd say 30 minutes of um, fiction so that's that's pretty cool um next week's will probably be short then it'll probably be a medium one then a short one and then i'm not sure <laughs> anyway all right I just want to say thanks to everybody for all the support. Um, you're awesome. There will be some promos next week because it'll be a shorter episode, so I'll have more time to get them all in there and um, get it all mixed down um, since I won't be spending so much time editing audio. And yeah, and hey, if you haven't bought your copy of Dead Mech for Kindle or for Barnes & Noble's Nook or on Smashwords, then go to jakebible.com, hit buy the fiction page, and um, see all the links there for Dead Mech and Bethany and the Zombie Jesus, uh, which is a great novelette and short story collection. And yeah, all right. I hope everyone's doing well. And thanks again, y'all. You rock. Cheers. Chapter 10. Both Billy and Melissa could feel their presence before the censors began to warn of their proximity. Fucking spiders, Billy growled. Those motherfucking LOM sons of bitches. Melissa dashed from the cabin, but seeing Heather peering out into the night water, she knew her aunt could feel them too. How far away? Heather asked, straining her senses to see if she could pick up anything. They're pretty close, huh? We've got maybe ten minutes at the most, Billy called from the cabin. Hang on! Heather and the girls barely had time to grab onto something before Billy pushed the throttle to full. This thing better be as fast as you say it is, Heather shouted. It is! Except I didn't think we'd be running from spiders, he shouted back. I'm heading straight for the shore. We're only half a kilometer from the Netherlands coastline. Beth turned towards the direction the boat was heading and could see the twinkling lights from some small harbor. 
In a moment, they passed the first buoy. Doesn't that mean the water is shallow? She yelled, leaning inside the cabin. What about the boat? Don't worry, Billy grinned. I've flattened the hull. We're skimming right now. Heather grabbed a spotlight, shining it behind her, searching the water for signs of the spiders. If they come from below, we're fucked. Great. This is just fucking great, Melissa complained. Just toss the case overboard. That's what they want, right? It'll save us all. Heather reared on her niece. This is why I haven't activated you, she shouted. I have a mission, and I will complete that mission. Until you understand the importance of that, you'll never be an active ghost. Heather thought she saw something cutting through the wake. There! They're almost on us, Billy! We're at full throttle already! Billy watched the harbor get closer. He could see several docks they could pull up to, but the time it would take to keep from crashing was time they didn't have. His eyes found a small beach straight ahead. We're going to have to do a rolling tumble! Shit, Heather cursed under her breath. Fine. You win, Melissa. What? But you just said... Melissa stuttered. I know what I fucking said. Do you want to be activated or not, goddammit? Melissa's face split into a huge grin. Yes, of course, yes! Heather grabbed her by the arms and leaned in close, her lips touching Melissa's ear. It'll be over in less than a minute, but you have to be strong. Remember everything I taught you. Center yourself. Find your gift, but don't let go, or you're lost forever. Heather felt Melissa nodding, and she took a deep breath, said a silent prayer, then whispered, Perfect posies prance one time. Imperfect posies can eat shit and die. Instantly, Melissa's eyes rolled up into her head, and she collapsed to the deck. What's wrong with her? Beth called. Is she having a seizure? Heather held up her hand, and Beth went quiet. Come on, girl. Fight it. Heather said, you can do this. Melissa's face contorted into a rictus of pain, then went slack. Is she? Beth asked. Shh! Heather ordered, her eyes never leaving her niece's face. Melissa rolled over suddenly and vomited onto the deck. She shook her head and with Beth and Heather's help got to her feet. You okay? Heather asked cautiously. Yeah, Melissa responded. I'm fine. I'm great, actually. Heather waited for a moment. Well... Melissa looked at her hands, then grabbed onto the side of the boat. I'm ready. Good, Heather nodded. I have Beth. I should be able to keep her from getting hurt. You'll have to take your lumps on your own. Melissa nodded and looked towards the beach. Will someone tell me what's going on? Beth demanded. You're going to grab onto me, Heather instructed. Right now, when we hit that beach, do not let go. That is your only job, got it? Hit the beach? Wait, what? An ear-piercing shriek made them all turn towards the bow. Billy, they're here! Heather shouted as the first spider breached the water, its long B.C. legs reaching for them. So are we! Hang on! Billy shouted back as the boat rocketed from the surf and slammed onto solid ground. Wake up, Brian, the woman said. Time to go to work. Brian wanted so desperately to play possum, to feign unconsciousness and stall, but he knew that wouldn't work. Not with her. I can't see anything right now, Brian said hoarsely. Someone's got a frog in his throat, the woman laughed. Do you need some water? No, Brian cried. No, no more water. I'm fine. No, Brian, you're not fine, the woman said, all trace of laughter gone now. You have never been fine, and you never will be fine. Time you accepted that. Brian didn't know how to respond, so he stayed quiet. Cat got your tongue? The woman asked. Too bad. 
I was going to take it for myself. Intense pain seared into both sides of his head, and Brian found that he couldn't turn his neck, couldn't even so much as nod. The canvas was pulled up from his mouth, and metal pinchers were thrust between his lips, prying his jaw open. Brian tried to scream. Shh now, the woman cooed. Hard to cut when you keep wiggling that thing about. Brian could feel the cold blade pressed down on his tongue, and he tried to wiggle it about. Now, you're just being difficult, the woman said. Piercing pain exploded in Brian's tongue, and he cried out. Do you think you may want to cooperate now? The woman asked, removing the pinchers. As long as you talk, you keep your tongue. As soon as you have nothing left to say, you lose it. Fine, Brian yelled. Fine, I'll try to see something. Try hard, Brian, the woman said. Try very hard. Beth's world exploded. She felt Heather grab her, and she did the same clutching to the woman as if her life depended on it, which it did. She could hear Billy yelling and Heather shouting back as everything spun about her. Then she hit and couldn't breathe. Brian groaned. What is it? the woman asked. I don't know, Brian said weakly. There were lights, then it all spun away. Now nothing. Brian felt the woman's hands pressing on his head. Nothing isn't good, Brian. Try harder. Get up, Heather shouted, pulling Beth to her feet. Get behind me. There's three of them, Billy called out from further down the beach. Leave her, Heather, we need weapons. Weapons? What good will they do against spiders? Melissa shouted, new knowledge streaming into her consciousness. Everything she had learned over the years had been trained for was now at her disposal, but all the knowledge in the world couldn't take away the fear. She winced as she put pressure on her right ankle, but knew now wasn't the time to be weak. They're gonna rip us apart! The bit of lamp light illuminating the harbor reflected off the bodies of three biochrome monstrosities. Each had a solid body, approximately twice the size of an adult coffin, long and smooth, with eight multi-jointed legs positioned symmetrically about the body, each ending in four articulated claw-like digits. Heather dashed to the wreckage of the boat, grabbing whatever BC she could and began to fashion something, anything that could be used for defense. "'What are those machines?' Beth shouted, staying close to Heather. They aren't machines, Heather responded. There are people in those things. At least they used to be people. Jesus, how do we go through life not hearing stuff like this? Beth yelled. Because you do as you're told and don't stray from the path, Heather said. Good thing, too. Spiders are for extermination only. Wholesale extermination. They destroy entire towns in hours. They are supposedly unstoppable. Heather tossed a long pole with two small hooks on the end to Beth keeping one for herself. But unstoppable is my specialty. It's dark again, Brian stated. There's some light, like from torches maybe, but it's hard to see. Try harder, the woman growled. I am, Brian exclaimed. He concentrated on the images flashing before him. He thought he saw water and he could hear shouting and a smell. Of course, it wasn't really a smell, but that was how he interpreted it. Spiders? What did you say? The woman asked, true concern in her voice. What did you just say, Brian? Spiders, he answered. I think there are spiders close. Real close. Beth felt the dizziness come on quickly. She thought maybe she had hit her head when they jumped from the boat. 
which she did, but now she knew the dizziness wasn't from hitting her head. It was inside her head. You okay? Heather yelled, catching her as she stumbled slightly. What's wrong? Beth shook her head. I don't know. My head hurts. No time for headaches, freak! Melissa shouted over at her as Heather tossed her a hooked spear. Not unless you want to be spider food! Beth stumbled again and this time fell to one knee. Heather yanked at her arm, bringing her back to her feet. Get down behind the wreckage! Stay put! Heather yelled. I... I can't! Beth gasped, her head pounding, her chest hitching. I can't... think. I'm... I'm not me! She fell to the beach, her stomach lurching. I'm hurting her, Brian yelled. She can't move. You can't hurt her, the woman shouted. Only help her. The slap came hard and swift, and Brian's head rocked back, his mind's eye clearing a bit. Help her, goddammit, the woman screamed. Help her, Brian. I've got her. You and Mel take out those spiders, Billy shouted. I'm useless in combat anyway. Lifting her under the arms, Billy pulled Beth across the rough beach of coarse sand and broken shells over to the wreckage of the boat. He plopped her down, shielding her body as much as possible as they looked at the BC before him, trying to work out what he could create to help the fight. Okay, okay, he mumbled. You, you can do this, Billy. You can do this. He reached in his pocket for more scabs, needing another fix, hoping to clear away the stress, but his hand came away empty. Ah, shit, fuck! Brian's head rocked back again from another slap, then another, and another. Stop! he screamed. Stop it! Then help her or you die! the woman shouted, gripping Brian's head in her hand, squeezing until he thought his cheekbones would crack. You're a ghost for fuck's sake! Help her or we both die! Brian couldn't comprehend that last statement. He couldn't grasp the context or meaning but something in the statement rang true anyway, and he focused his will on the other person, on the girl whose eyes he was seeing through. I'm a ghost for fuck's sake, he thought. A spider reared up on its back legs, towering over the boat wreckage, its front four claws wide and reaching for Billy and Beth. Billy pulled Beth closer to him, wrapping her in his arms, pressing her to his chest. Don't look. No! She yelled, shoving him away. Billy fell back onto his haunches, his eyes torn between the spider and Beth. Beth, whose eyes blazed with fury and determination. I'm a ghost for fuck's sake! She screamed, getting to her feet, holding her left hand down and back, her fingers flexing and releasing, flexing and releasing as she started to circle to the right. The spider watched Beth, although it had no eyes to speak of, following her movements. Beth? Billy whispered. But his attention was drawn away as the beach began to brighten. Billy feared to look away from the BC beasts, but he couldn't help a quick glance as he saw first the wreckage, then any BC within fifty feet of Beth begin to glow. A second spider pushed past the first, its attention fully on Billy. No! Beth shouted, her right hand now coming down and back also, flexing, releasing, flexing, releasing, her body now in perfect symmetry. He's not for you! Tell me what you see, Brian, the woman demanded. Tell me how you are helping her. I see spiders, Brian stammered. On a, a beach? I see a man. He's he's on the ground. Something about him. A, a ghost? No, not anymore. Well, maybe. How do I know this? Doesn't matter, 
the woman said. Concentrate on the spiders. The man is of no consequence right now. The spiders, Brian trailed off. The woman slapped him again, hard. Focus! Okay, okay, Brian said. Two spiders are facing me. They should have attacked by now. Why haven't they attacked? Because you are helping her, the woman coaxed. Because you can stop them. Right, because I'm a ghost for fuck's sake, Brian yelled. Yes, the woman agreed. Yes, you are a ghost. Help her. The two BC monsters swayed before Beth, both rearing back, ready to strike. Faintly, as if in another world, she could hear Melissa and Heather struggling against the third spider. Beth fought to keep the two spiders' attention focused on her. Help me, Beth shouted. How, Beth? Billy asked, his eyes never leaving the spiders, his legs refusing to move, to stand. You know shit, right? How vehicles are built? She asked, taking a step forward. The spiders matched her by each taking a step back. These are like vehicles. Where is their weak spot? Billy didn't have to think. He knew the answer immediately. I don't know, Beth. I've never seen the schematics for a spider. That tech is kept under lock and key. Beth squared her shoulders. There has to be something. The first spider lashed out with its frontmost leg, the claw slicing the air just centimeters from Beth's face. No! she screamed, and the spider's claw warped, wrapping in upon itself until it was just a hunk of B.C., not the deadly weapon it was intended to be. How did you do that? Billy asked in awe. I don't know, Beth answered. Give me a weak spot, Billy. Find me something. Spiders do have weak spots, the woman said. You know they do. What? Brian cried. I, I don't know a bloody thing about spiders. No, not spiders specifically, the woman said. But you're a ghost for fuck's sake, remember? You know B.C. You know what to do. The beach swam before Beth's eyes, and this time she believed she'd pass out from the dizziness. She shook her head to clear it, and the spiders made their move. The first came at her straight on, claws slashing. The second circled around, completely ignoring Billy, and tried to flank her. Beth fell to her knees, just barely ducking a lethal swipe of a claw. Her left knee slammed against one of the many sharp rocks covering the ground, and the pain shot up her thigh. A claw slammed down next to her, and she instinctively reached out and grabbed onto the leg, instantly being lifted high into the air as the leg was pulled back. She scrambled quickly and found herself perched upon the spider's back. Hang on! Billy shouted, getting to his feet, separating a length of B.C. from the wreckage and fashioning it into a spear, similar to what Heather had done. Wasn't planning on letting go! Beth shouted back, fighting the swirling focus-unfocus that was her brain. Billy lunged at the second spider, not having a clue as to what he was doing, but the spider reacted, stepping away from the hooked spear. That was something! Heather, what the fuck do I do with this thing? The spider Beth was perched on began to buck and heave, trying to throw her, but she hung on. She dodged a claw as the spider turned upon itself, desperate to have her off its back. She dodged a second claw, a third claw, watching as the BC claws punctured the shell, the creature's strength too much for its own good. Beth wasn't able to dodge a fourth as it embedded itself into her right thigh, ripping her off the spider and flinging her to the ground. Billy leapt in front of her, his spear at the ready, but was easily knocked aside, slammed to the ground, his head crashing against the rocks, leaving him in an unconscious heap. 
The crippled spider spun around and around, trying to dislodge its own claws from its back, while the second spider surged forward, looming over Beth, each arm and claw looking like a chrome version of Death's scythe. No, Beth whispered, gritting her teeth against the pain from her thigh. I don't die like this. Come on, Brian, you're losing her, the woman yelled. Brian concentrated. He thought of everything he had learned over the years, everything drilled into him to prepare him to be a ghost. But nothing came to the surface. No answers or solutions. It was as if what he needed to know was submerged under meters of water. Meters of water? Water? Brian smiled. Beth watched the spider poised to strike, its claws reflecting the small amount of light provided by the nearby docks. Water. A single word echoed in her mind. She puzzled at why she would think about water when she was about to die. Then it hit her. Biochrome was metal, and metal wasn't a solid, but a liquid in solid form. And like that, the spider was no more. Its huge form was gone, dissolved into a pool of B.C. that washed over her and Billy, a naked, malformed, pink body lay in the middle of the B.C., its eyes blind, its mouth opening and closing, opening and closing. Its legs had been amputated at the knees, and its arms were just short stubs with no hands, two finger-like appendages sticking from the end. The thing let out a long, slow, dying breath, and then was still. Beth stared at the creature, wiping liquid B.C. from her clothes. She scrambled over to Billy, her thigh screaming agony, and rolled him over, terrified of what she would see. But to her relief, Billy's eyes fluttered open, found her, and then closed once more. Beth hugged him tightly, watching the other spider still struggle against itself. You did it, Brian, the woman whispered in her ear. Brian wept quietly. He tried not to, tried to suck the tears back in to control the light sobs that escaped his lips. I don't understand what's happening. No, Brian, you don't, the woman said coldly. And we still have a long way to go before you do. Brian felt the cold metal of the blade against a knuckle, and he screamed as the knife sliced through his flesh. Beth shuddered and looked down at her hand as pain flared in one of her knuckles, then dissipated. You okay? Melissa asked, kneeling next to her and Billy, while Heather engaged the wounded spider. We got ours. Heather will take care of that last one. Melissa looked at Beth's sigh and gasped. Jesus, that's got to hurt. Beth looked down at the blood pouring from her wound and furrowed her brow. I, I don't, I don't even feel it. That would be shock, Melissa said, looking about her for B.C. to close the wound. Her eyes went wide when she realized they were all in the middle of a pool of B.C. What the fuck? but her attention was quickly drawn away as the death screams of the last spider echoed across the harbor. Beth and Melissa looked over as the B.C. creature fell to the ground, Heather's spear sticking from its abdomen. The ghost wiped her hands on her chest, then turned to the others, smiling broadly. That smile quickly faded as she saw first Billy and Beth, then the B.C. surrounding them. She walked over and kicked the malformed corpse with her boot. What the fuck happened here? Gentlemen and ladies, Alexander announced as he entered the VIP room. Thank you for coming. I do apologize for being late. With your reputation, a squat, dark-skinned man said, we're surprised you even showed. The six others, four men and two women, all laughed. 
Alexander grinned and slapped the squat man on the shoulder. Fair enough, Timon, fair enough. But if we are going on reputation, then you all know I have capabilities to make, uh, well, things happen. Yes, an elegant white-haired woman said, which is why we are all here at this ungodly hour, Alex. That is your highness or my lord to you, Sasha scolded, ushering the waitresses out of the room as soon as they finished setting the guest's third drink order before them. He shut the double doors behind him as he nodded to the prince. All swept and clear. You may all speak freely. I have alerted security that the meeting is in progress and you are not to be disturbed. Your highness. Alexander gave Sasha a wink and turned back to his audience. Yes, the hour is late, so let's get to the point. The lights dimmed and a hollow of a bright blue sky was projected into the middle of the room. Flight. It's outlawed and punishable by death or by banishment into the dead zone. Over the centuries, we have been given many reasons why. Atmospheric chaos, military concerns, American regulation, lack of decent technology. The LOM, nor the Americans, have ever given the public a solid reason other than we say so. But there is one thing we all know, and that is the law is rigorously enforced. Then why bring it up? A middle-aged Brit asked, his mouth smiling, but his eyes cold. Any aircraft would be shot down within seconds of attaining altitude above the legal hover ceiling. You are wasting our time. The prince laughed and poured himself a drink. Anyone care for something? They all glared. Oh, yes, you have yours. Very well, Julian. Last week I would have agreed with you, but this week... The hollow changed perspectives to a grand estate. The image circled a great old castle three times, and then came in close and settled before the main entrance on the large gravel drive. That's Wildshire Downs, the Brit exclaimed. How did you do that? Satellite images combined with crane work? Please, Julian, you're being dense, Alex grinned. The image switched immediately to a waving Prince Alexander, standing in the empty drive. With a flourish of his hands, the air behind him shimmered, then was filled with a large aircraft. The sun glinted off the reflective biochrome. Everyone in the room gasped. That has to be a fake, Timon said. Special effects about any ten-year-old could do. Which is why I've prepared a demonstration. Alex's grin grew wider, and he downed his drink in one gulp. If you'll follow me to the roof, I'll show you all that it is very real. You may leave your drinks. Refreshments will be provided on board. On board? Julian asked. Alex didn't answer. Only smiled. Sirens could be heard in the distance, and Heather yanked Billy to his feet, giving him a good, hard slap. Wake up, scabhead! We gotta go! Billy staggered a bit, then found his balance, his hand going to his cheek. Did you really need to do that? Want another? Heather glared. Great job protecting her. Heather knelt next to Melissa and Beth, admiring the BC stitchwork. You're learning fast, Heather smiled at Mel. Thanks. It's all still a little fuzzy, but the skills are coming together, Melissa responded, helping Beth to her feet, putting the wounded girl's arm around her shoulders. A couple more hours and we should know what special skill set I have. I look forward to finding out, Heather nodded. But for now, we need to get the fuck off this beach. How far do you think we are from Amsterdam? Beth whispered. Billy? Heather asked, glancing at the still groggy junkie. Um, not sure, Billy said, shaking his head. I'm guessing just a few kilometers. Get me somewhere where I can focus and I'll make us a hydro skiff so that we can take the canals. 
There's nothing here, Alexander, Timon growled as the group stepped onto the nightclub's roof. Sasha cleared his throat and Timon rolled his eyes. Your Highness. Alex smiled and snapped his fingers. Mr. Stiles, if you please. The space before them began to shimmer and warp and almost instantly was filled with the same aircraft from the hollow. The vehicle was pure B.C., shiny, reflective, and sleek. It was long, over 15 meters, and the wings were short and brushed back, giving the impression of a moth's wings at rest. It stood seven meters high with a meter of empty space beneath it. Except for the open cockpit on the side, there wasn't a single window. In that cockpit door stood a strikingly handsome man, late thirties with a wide grin on his face, and an equally wide cowboy hat on his head. Howdy, y'all. Captain Edgar Stiles at your service. Stiles gave a quick salute, then leapt from the cockpit and walked briskly to the group, his hand extended. Glad to meet you. Y'all ready for a ride? The group looked from Alex to each other, stunned. Is this guy for real? Timon asked. As real as a heart attack, pard, Stiles winked. As real as a heart attack, Alex laughed. Valerie Adams here, live from what was the site of the American base in Suffolk. Valerie said into the hollow cam, her body covered from head to toe in a protective suit, her face obscured by the clear face mask which was quickly fogging up. As you can see behind me, the devastation is horrendous, and quite dangerous as the radiation levels are lethal and the LOM has sent in its atmospheric containment agency to control any fallout. While the ACA has declined to speak with us, rightly so since they are quite busy, we have been told that similar operations are in progress at bases, or former bases now, in Spain, France, the Holy Roman Empire, and anywhere an attack has been. Her head cocked. Valerie listened intently for a moment. Folks, it has come to my attention that all American bases have been destroyed. Also, it appears that the American family combat units that are embedded in each monarchy are under assault or have been executed. We are trying to learn more as we speak, but appears that the long-thought defunct terrorist sect, El Rojo Muerte, or the Red Death, has claimed responsibility. Mr. Brown Eyes switched off the hollow. Seems like the story is holding strong. We have complete control of all media at the moment, Mr. Plain smiled. Even with eyewitness reports circling about, there are so many crackpots out there making huge claims, no one knows who to believe. Where are we with the actual containment of the FCUs? Mr. Continental asked. Reports indicate there are a few individual stragglers still unaccounted for, but we are close to a 97% extermination rate, Mr. Plain answered. That includes all known ghosts. Ghosts as well, Mr. Brown Eyes asked, surprised. That is well ahead of schedule. They didn't see it coming, Mr. Plain grinned. We caught all of them completely off guard. How very un-American, Mr. Brown Eyes laughed and the others joined him. Are all the monarchs ready to make their statements when ordered? Mr. Continental asked. They are, and none are the wiser, Mr. Plain replied. We are right on target. Charlie Masterson watched from the hillside as the LOM ACA units put their massive atmospheric processors into place. He knew once they turned those on and their energy shields were activated, he wouldn't stand a chance of getting into the blast site to retrieve his father. Charlie smiled at the thought of his father, Blue, and how that son of a bitch seemed stronger than a cockroach and ten times as resilient. Charlie was pretty impressed with himself that he was able to escape a LOMSD ambush without a scratch. Only he and Tolson had made it out. 
He tried to get Tolson to come with him, but the woman was more concerned with tracking down her own family, which was to be understood. Now, looking down on the scorched crater that was once the base he grew up in, he couldn't help but smile with respect that somewhere down there, his father was still alive, or at least had been alive long enough to activate his secure beacon before the radiation fouled the signal. Charlie kept watching the ACA and their accompanying LOMSD guards, and he hoped he could find the weak spot, the way in, soon. He melted back into the shadows, his custom shock suit reflecting the scenery about, making him almost invisible to the naked eye, his suit's jamming tech making him completely invisible to sensors. He may not have been a ghost like his father, but he was one tough shock trooper. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Styles called over the calm from the cockpit. In your seats, you will see two shoulder straps and a lap belt. If you would be so kind as to secure yourselves, I'll really give you a demonstration of what this baby can do. The VIPs looked at each other, eyes wide in amazement, as they sat inside what Styles had called the BTT. Most were annoyed that he wouldn't elaborate as to what the B, T, or T stood for, but those thoughts were gone the second they lifted off from the nightclub roof and shot out of Amsterdam and over the channel. We will be going faster, a short pudgy woman asked, the color of her skin turning a deeper shade of green. How fast does this go? Mach 1, Prince Alexander responded, highball glass in hand. No need to worry. I've done this a hundred times. It's all perfectly safe. All strapped in? Styles asked, his voice echoing in the passenger cabin. I'm punching it in five, four, three. All the VIPs scrambled to secure their harnesses. Two, one. The press of the G-forces as the BTT rocketed into the night shoved the VIPs back into their seats. Alexander laughed, seemingly unaffected. Why aren't you pushed back? Timon stuttered, his eyes wide and face white. Gravitational stabilizer, Alex smiled, spinning his finger about, indicating the whole of the cabin. Something I worked up. Keeps my drink from spilling. Why isn't it working on us? The pudgy woman asked. Oh, your harnesses counter the effect, Alex responded, sipping casually from his drink. I just wanted you to feel the G so you know why you need the stabilizer. It isn't standard installation and we'll discuss costs for the extras when we return. Anything else we should know about? Timon asked. Any other extras? Plenty, Alex winked. Alex, Styles called over the private comm as the aircraft slowed considerably. Can you come up here? Are we having issues? Alexander responded, glancing towards the VIPs. Not exactly, Styles responded. Just get up here. Alex smiled and stood up, nodding to the others, but they were all too white-knuckled to care. He walked casually to the cockpit door and placed his hand firmly in the middle. The door dissolved and Alexander quickly stepped inside, the door firming behind him. What, Eddie? Look out there, Stiles said, pointing to the nighttime landscape of England below. The prince looked down for a moment, puzzled. What am I looking at, Stiles? he asked impatiently. See all those lights? That big crater with all the machinery around it? Yes, so we're three kilometers up, Al. Those are big machines. Alexander continued looking out the windshield. I'm not following you. That used to be Suffolk. That's what's left of the American base. Those are atmospheric processors being put into place. 
Styles switched on the holocast and a small image formed in the middle of the cockpit. Reports flashed across the hollow of the devastation in England and elsewhere. All hell has gone down, right when we're trying to make a fucking sale! Alexander sat down, pressing his hands to his forehead. What are we going to do, Al? Styles asked. I've got everything sunk into this project. This shit fails and I've got nowhere to go. Just let me think, Eddie, okay? I'll work it out. I always do. You've been listening to the podcast reading of Jake Bible's The Americans. This novel and recording are protected under whatever latest, greatest Creative Commons license is out there currently. Share this all you want. Just don't even try to make a buck off it without the express permission of the author, me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, please go to jakebible.com. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode of the re-release of the original podcast production of The Americans. Don't want to wait each week for a new episode? Go to jakebible.substack.com and become a paid subscriber. Want more audiobooks? Go to jakebible.com for info and access to dozens of Jake Bible fiction audiobooks and ebooks. Cheers.